Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Gretchen Rubin. Now, Gretchen is the author of the the blockbuster bestsellers, Better Than Before, and The Happiness Project, and she has an enormous readership both in print uh, and online. You may have heard of her podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where she discusses good habits and happiness with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft. Uh, This was named one of the top, uh, one of the best podcasts on iTunes of all of 2015. Uh, She started her career in law and was working uh, as, or was clerking as in the Supreme Court uh, for Justice Sandra O'Connor when she realized that she wanted to be a writer. So I'm excited to really talk about that, uh, not only that story, um, but just what, what the changes have been like, uh, and then her path, right, to having multiple books out there. So Gretchen, uh, it's so great to be chatting with you today. Thanks. I'm very happy to be talking to you. So I want to start by going back kind of to the, the beginning, which is that moment, or maybe it's not a moment, maybe it was a series of moments, where you realized that, hey, I, I need to do this whole writing thing, and I actually am a writer what was that like and then how did you change because that's a big change right from from working in a law office to actually becoming a writer yeah it was a big transition and like you said it was a series of moments it wasn't any one thing it was sort of a, a realization over time and so i think you know part of me always wanted to be a writer and i certainly did everything in my life to prepare myself to be a writer and um and i was clerking as you said for sandra day o'connor and um I became preoccupied with an idea and that happens to me a lot. Um, And I'll go off on a tangent and researching and taking notes on something. So that was very typical of something for me. But this was an idea where I was just working on it more and more and more. It was taking up more and more time. And one of the things that occurred to me is, you know, well, this is what I'm doing as kind of a hobby. This is what a person would do to write a book. And that's what some people do for their job. Um, And also at the same time, I went over to a friend's house who was uh, in education graduate school and she had a really boring looking tome about education lying on her coffee table. And I said, oh, is that the kind of thing you have to read for your program? And she said, oh, but those are the kind of books I read on my own anyway. And I thought, you know, I would never, I I do as excellent a job for Justice O'Connor as I can, but I don't do one extra minute. You know, and I thought I want to be doing something where what I'm doing for fun is exactly what I'm doing for work and slow. And I and I had an idea for what a book should be. And so I began to have the realization, you know, I had come to a transition in my career. If if I was ever going to try, now is the time to try. I had an idea. Um, I wanted it sounded more appealing to fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. And this was sort of the right time to make that jump. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll try it. And then. I'll try and maybe I'll fail, but at least I'll have given it a shot. And that's when I made the transition to being a full-time writer. Matt, how'd you work up the guts uh, to give it a go and, and, and to, to come to that point where it's, hey, even if I fail, I'm going to give this a try? 
You know, I was really lucky because um, everybody in my immediate circle was very supportive of me making a big change and taking a big risk. And that made it a lot easier, I have to say. My husband was also leaving law to go into a different career. So, oh, there we go. Um, should we just ignore it or keep talking? Or just wait? Yeah, we can, we can just keep going. Okay. Um, I don't know who that is either. All these random people are calling me. Um, and... But, you know, part of it was I just, once I had the idea that I wanted to be a writer, I wanted to try it, I had this idea that was completely obsessing me, um, and that's what eventually became my first book, which is called Power, Money, Fame, Sex, A User's Guide, which is such a fun book to write. Um, and then I bought a book from the bookstore that was called How to Write and Sell Your Nonfiction Book Proposal, and I literally just started following the steps. And... Um, I, you know, looking back on it, it's kind of crazy that I wasn't more anxious about it. And maybe at the time I was, and it's just been like lost in the sands of time. But I think I just sort of thought, I'll just put this, you know, kind of one foot in front of the other um, and move forward. And I, and, uh, and it's funny because, you know, in writing my most recent book, my habits book called Better Than Before, I learned about myself why it was maybe easier for me to do something like that than it is for some other people. Cause I developed this personality framework. And what I learned about myself when I developed this personality framework and put myself into it is that for a person like me, that kind of thing is a little bit easier than some other people find it to be. Got it. Now, what was, what was maybe the toughest part of that transition from transitioning into, all right, now you've worked up the guts. Now I'm going to do this to actually, to actually making that first book happen. You know, it was fun. It was really fun. I mean, I was just like working all day long on a, a, a subject that obsessed me. I remember the ecstasy of when I got an agent for me in a way that was the biggest milestone because I felt like when I got an agent, I was a professional writer, even though I hadn't sold a word in my whole life. It was like somebody had put money on me. Like that made me a professional. Whereas before it was just somebody um, working on a book, you know, on her own. And so that was super exciting for me. And then also to feel like I had somebody on my team or I had somebody to give me advice because I was coming into it cold. Maybe that was the hardest thing about the transition is the fact is coming from law, I had gone to Yale Law School. I had, was editor in chief of Yale's Law Review. I clerked for Sandra Day O'Connor. I had, so, the fact is those are really, really strong legal credentials. And right at the time when I was at my peak, I was like, eh, I'm gonna chuck it all apart and start over from nothing. I had no clips, no short stories, no nothing. Um, so, you know, it was a little bit hard to leave all those feathers in my cap um, behind, you know, in the garage and start again. Now take us through the process of actually writing your first book was it, how did you do it was there a method to the madness was it just just opening up a word doc and doing it like yeah. how did you actually uh write that first book you know actually all my books i read exactly the same way and i'm not necessarily saying this is what would work for everyone but it's clearly what works for me because it's i've never deviated from it and i never planned it out this is just like what naturally happens to me so I become interested in a subject. So I become obsessed with the subject of habits or become obsessed with the subject of happiness or become obsessed with the subject of Winston Churchill. And I just become increasingly compelled to learn more and more and more about the subject. And as that compulsion grows, I, often, I also have a compulsion to take notes. So I'll open up a document that's called something like 
notes, something really, you know, something really insightful like that. <laughs> or like one, one of my notes thing is called categories. I don't even know why. And, um, and I'll start taking notes. And one of the things that's interesting to me about my own process is like I, when I take notes, I only write down whatever seems interesting and important to me. I don't try to impose any kind of structure on it for the most part, but I will put search terms near something. So it might be like Winston Churchill and then it's some anecdote about Winston Churchill and it'll be like work, habits, time, sleep or something. And, and I'll just keep it and I'll just be going through books. I'm very book centric when I do my research and I'll just go through and I'll write down everything. And then I'll, pretty soon I'll have, you know, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages of notes of everything that I've learned. And then and, and at a certain point, it will begin to assume a structure in my mind. And I'll begin to see how I want to manipulate the information in a way to make a book. And so like with my habits book, Better Than Before, it was overwhelming to me. I had so much material about habits. No one had organized it because usually when people write about habits, they write about what seems to me one little piece of it and they'll like write a whole book about that and then i'm like but what about all these other things that you're leaving out but they have a book that's all so i had all this stuff that was how is it all going to fit into one book i was overwhelmed so then i come in so then i go through the stage of, of figuring out a structure then i go through the stage of putting all my notes into that structure and so then when i'm turning it into a book it's already i've already got all this material and it's already been loosely structured and then i start overlaying an actual you know written polished narrative and of course that goes through you know dozens of editing stages but um so that's how i do it and it doesn't sound that efficient and it's not that efficient but it really works well for me in terms of letting me cast a wide net in terms of what i'm interested in and then what the structure how the structure will suit the material that i think is important um and then turning it from how to, how to make notes into original material Got it. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Now, one question I have about that process. So you've got the, there's the information gathering stage yeah. um, and, and slash note taking stage. Yeah. Um, then it moves into, uh, you said more of like the kind of figuring out, what did you call it? The structure. The, so you're, you got your structure for your book yeah. and then you put the notes within that structure um, yeah. and then you start to polish it and, and yeah. work through it and making an actual full blown narrative. Yeah. Now, when we're coming back to the notes portion of that, it, or is the notes, is that just your personal notes? Are you dropping like quotes in there or what does that look yeah. like? No, it could be either one. So it could be quotations um, or it could be like ideas that I have that have been sparked by something that I've read. So it could be, oh, here's this interesting study and this is what it shows. Or I could, or it could be a question like, um, you know, why is everybody saying this? And yet I've observed that. Is there any explanation? So I don't forget about something that's bothering me. Cause a lot of times, I feel like the original part that I bring is sort of seeing like, what are the obvious questions that no one else is asking, you know? And so sort of like making sure that I'm staying fresh and engaged enough to be like, but what about this? And what about that? And how do you explain this? Um, or even like I draw a lot on sort of my own experiences and what I see around me. So I might write in an anecdote from something that happened to me um, personally, like, oh, this relates to, or like, you know, oh, I had that conversation um, you know, it was better than before the, the whole book, basically one of the most important moments in my whole thinking about habits came at lunch, a casual lunch with a friend where she made one offhand comment that like blew my mind, you know, so I would go home and like quickly write that down. So I don't forget it because I'll forget anything, no matter how important it is, um, if I don't write it down. 
So it's just a mishmash of stuff. And it's just in a Word document, you know. But then later on, because I, I put those search terms, a lot of times I'll just search like sleep or accountability or, you know, uh, time or procrastination or whatever it might be. And then I, and then I see everything that might be related to that. I love that. Love that. Mm. And that's, a, that's such a great method for making, making your research searchable. Cause that can yes. be the hard part, right? Is you yeah. get all this research and you're like, I don't yeah. even know where to go now. Yeah. Where do yeah. I even go next? So that's great. Well, and also the, a lot of the research about creativity and originality shows that un, unexpected juxtapositions are very helpful to people, which is why things like idea boards can be useful because it's like you see things that you didn't necessarily think of together. When you see them together, your mind can create new connections. And for me, taking notes is a way to do that because I'm constantly manipulating the notes, which is inefficient in that it takes a lot of time, but it's actually helpful for me because it's like, I'm, I'm like, I'll be thinking about this study and that study and I'm like, but actually these studies are quite related, even though they're never mentioned in the same breath, they actually are getting at different aspects of the same problem or whatever. And so I, I feel like it's kind of a hodgepodge method that helps me with my original thinking. That's great. Now, how do you go from the, the narrative or the, sorry, the, uh, the, the dumping notes into the structure to then going to the narrative? Cause I know for a lot of people, there's this fear of almost like, I want to make sure some of this is original or I don't want to just respout other people's ideas. And like, how do I make sure that I'm not plagiarizing? Like yeah. all these questions come to mind when you've done, especially when you've done a lot of research. So yeah. how do you do that? And what's that process like, like for you? Well, once I have all the notes put in, like they're not, they need to be knit together. They need to be like uh, explained and understood. And so I don't really worry about that too much. Um, I mean, I definitely in my source notes, I'm very careful to track like what I've taken for other people to make sure that there's no risk of plagiarism. And I have all kinds of like special notes that I use to make so that I, I know what is mine original, what's inspired by somebody else, what's actually somebody else's work. Um, but then when I, when I do it, it's like, I have to, I have to talk it through, you know, because it's like, okay, procrastination, I might have like 10 pieces of information, but they wouldn't make sense to anybody else. Cause they're just like bits and bobs and they are only meaningful to me. I, so I have to start saying like, well, you know, the thing about procrastination is people think it's about perfectionism, but actually it's about impulse control. And so what's the significance of that? Okay. Well, you know, this is, so what do you do about procrastination? Some things look like procrastination, but they're not really procrastination. So what is that? You know, and then, and then what's the order of ideas? And I'm very interested in the question of how do you, how do you convey information, complex, dense information in a way that people can really understand? Um, and so I spend a lot of time thinking about how do I talk about an idea? What's the language that I use um, that's gonna be the most, like gonna hit the hardest? So a lot of mine is like going editing over and over and over again to make the language sharper and clearer. Um, I mm. hate muddy prolix prose. So <laughs> I, I try to be the opposite. That's that's uh, that's awesome, and I love that you came from such an academic <laughs> background, yeah. and yet it's like yeah. no, yeah, that's like, no. So no. I guess. That's that's a great question because I'm exactly the same way. It's like, how can we make this so simple that anyone off the street can understand this very complex uh, question, right? And and so you pose the question. And I actually want to turn it back uh, and and ask you how you do that. How do you take these big complex ideas and make them simple so that anyone can understand it? Um, well, I think part of it is with language. 
and certainly because I, I draw in a lot of research, um, people fall into uh, jargon so much, or they'll like use these phrases um, that are unnecessarily unclear. Um, and um, so I, I think a lot about using clear direct language, um, you know, how the construction of a sentence, like if there's too many words that are like are neither nouns or verbs, like I just like a red flag goes off. Um, I also use a lot of stories from my own life um, and, and from the people that I know, because I think, you know, people talk all the time about storytelling and about how people learn the best from stories. And it's really true. I mean, I think a lot of times you can talk about an idea and people will nod and they think they understand. And then you tell an anecdote and people totally get it. You know, like it just hits them hard. Um, even if it's something completely unrelated to their own experience, they just get it in a different way. And so I'm always trying to think of like, well, how can I fold this into something that really resonates in someone's everyday experience? Um, and certainly like writing about habits and happiness, that's pretty easy because these are things that people really grapple with in their own life. But anytime I feel myself drifting off into like abstract discussions, I'm like, okay, how am I gonna yank this back down to the ground um, so that a person understands what I'm talking about? Um, especially when I start using specialized terms. Um, it's like, do I really need to use that word or can I use a regular normal word instead? Mm, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So using anecdotes, using stories, uh, simplifying the language, stripping things down uh, to basic terminology, that's, that seems to be a, a lot of the main ways that you really take these big complex uh, ideas and make them simple. Yeah, well, and I think the fact is, if you can't explain it in simple language, you probably don't understand it as well as you think. Lytton Strachey had this wonderful line where he said that the truest test of a man's intelligence is his ability to make a summary. And I think being able to summarize and being able to articulate things clearly is really a mark of understanding things very, very clearly. And the more the language becomes vague, the more I'm like, well, really, like, what exactly are you talking about there? Um, and I think it also gives you a cloud of authority um, that it's like, okay, well, you can put all those fancy pants terms on if you want, but I'm just saying, like, I don't th think that's true necessarily. And certainly the same thing with research. Like a lot of times people point to research and I'm like, well, you can point to that research, but is there other research that shows the opposite? Or do I just from experience know that what you're saying is not true? Um, which often is the case, in fact. Like I'll read a story and I'm like, I know that's not true and I don't need a lab because it's just obviously not true. You know, like the study that shows that after $75,000, additional income doesn't affect happiness. We know that's not true, right? Because people are, some people have 10 children, some people have none. Some people have sick parents, some people have none. Some people live in Manhattan, some people live in South Dakota. And yeah, I mean, there's just like so many things that make a difference. It can't be true. Um, or the best time to do everything is in the first thing in the morning. If something's important to you, you should get up early and do it before work. No, maybe for you, but maybe not for you because some people are morning people and some people are night people. You know, and you can say like, well, this is the best time. There's a lot of attempt to like find out what are the best habits for creativity and productivity. And that's like saying, what's the best bedtime? The best bedtime is 10.15. We should all go to bed at 10.15 p.m. No, because we're all different. We all have different circumstances. We're all different, have different natures, different temperaments, different schedules. We have to figure these things out for ourselves. And so I think that's very true for habits and happiness as well. That's awesome. And on the subject of habits and happiness, 
what what was slash is uh, your inspiration for writing about those things and for talking about those things? Uh, well, the, the happiness project was um, came out of a desire for me to do it for myself. I was on a crowded bus in the pouring rain and I was just finishing up my biography of JFK. And um, so I, I looked out the window and I thought, well, what do I want from life anyway? I thought, I want to be happy. But I didn't spend any time thinking about whether I was happy or how I could be happier. And I thought, I should have a happiness project. And I got the idea to write the happiness project, but I, at first it wasn't going to be a book. It was just, I was just going to do it for myself. So I went to the library, as I always do, and got a giant stack of books about happiness and started researching it. And the more I researched, and this was just going to be for fun, the more I got into it, the the more and more drawn into the material I became and I was just doing more. And then I started doing the thing of taking notes because I couldn't resist. And then at a certain point I thought, wow, this is, I'm so interested in this. This should be my next book. I should write about how I want to be happier. I'm gonna spend a year trying to be happier, test driving all these theories uh, that I'm reading about and I'm gonna see what happens. And so that became a book. And then, so I wrote The Happiness Project and Happier at Home, which were both very solidly about ha happiness. And I began to notice as I was talking to people about happiness that very often when people talked about a big happiness challenge, they very often pointed to a problem with a habit. So somebody would say, well, my problem is that I never get enough sleep, which is about the habit of getting enough sleep. Or somebody would say like, well, my problem is, is that I have this lifelong dream of writing a novel and yet I love writing and I desperately want to write a novel and yet I, I can't do it. Why, why am I not working on my novel? Why not? That's about the habit of making consistent progress. And so I became increasingly drawn to the role that habits can play in helping people to be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. And um, the minute I stepped one foot into that, you know, it just exploded because it's just a gigantic, fascinating um, subject. Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we wanna help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. On, on the subject of happiness, especially, I know that anyone who's written a book, um, especially if the writing process doesn't come easy to you, like for me, you know, I, I made C's in English and, and it was like, just the, the, just, I think I had nightmares about the dreaded blank page, right? But, you know, you're going to, you're going to, get up to your keyboard and you're going to stare at that blank word doc and just say, Hey, here we go. And, and it's terrifying, right? And it, and it can be a pretty frustrating process or it can be a long, painful process. What are some tips that you have uh, for remaining happy during that time, during the time of writing your book? Um, well, it's interesting because I find I am made happy by writing. So that's good for me. Yeah, we're very, um, we're very different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think it's, uh, I mean, it depends on, uh, on the nature of your question. I mean, are you saying like how to have hap happiness in other parts of your life that are going to offset? Like, I mean, part of it, and here's, I mean, this is what I would say. Sorry. A little bit of, um, so many thoughts going to my mind. Happiness doesn't always make us feel happy. 
Um, and sometimes the things that we do that really make us feel happy, happy over the long term don't really make us feel happy in the short term. And so you can't, you shouldn't feel uncomfortable or surprised if something, sometimes some things that overall make you happier don't make you happier in the short term. Because I think sometimes people are like, well, this should be a happy experience. And it's like, well, a lot of things that in the long run pay off don't pay off in the short term. And for instance, one of the things that all the research shows is that novelty and challenge make people happier. People who do new things, people who challenge themselves tend to be happier, even if it's something as silly as going to a new restaurant instead of like your old favorite diner every time. So new experiences, new challenges make us happier. Okay, well, clue into this. In case you haven't noticed, novel and challenging situations often also make people feel anxious, insecure, angry, defensive, uncomfortable, you know, it can be hard to do something novel and challenging. And you just sort of have to say like, well, this is part of the process. Right now, I feel really uncomfortable. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel very uneasy. It's not pleasant to be doing this. But I know that over the long term, this is the kind of thing that's going to make me happier. And just to kind of put it in a context of this is what I want for my life. This is how I want to live up to my values. This is what, how I want to live up to my vision for myself. Sometimes along the way, that might be kind of a drag. Yes, love that, love that. And that's just crazy, great advice because sometimes it can be hard, right? You lose sight of the end goal, which is helping people and adding value to their lives and, and, and having someone have that experience where they go through your book and their life is just changed because of it. And, and sometimes it's easy to lose track of that when you're in the nitty gritty, like how do I make this paragraph make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, what about finding time to write? I know a lot of people, you have a busy life, you have a family, you have all these things happening. How do you find the time or how do you make the time uh, to write? And this, this might even go into some of the habit stuff. No, absolutely. Um, and that's exactly the kind of thing that in Better Than Before, it's really aimed to help because one of the things is that there just is no magic one size fits all solutions. And what I found when I looked at it is that there are actually 21 strategies that we can use to make or break our habits, which, and that can seem sort of overwhelming, like that's too many, um, but it's actually good because some work really well for some people and some others work better for. And so it's good to have a whole array and actually on my site gretchenrubin.com if you go into resources there's something called the checklist for habit change where it's a checklist where you can write the habit that you want like you could say something like i want to spend an hour writing every day or i want to spend three hours writing every day and then it would give you the checklist of every strategy you could possibly use um, that would help you and to make an important habit you might use five or six strategies which is actually easier than it sounds so what are some of the strategies that typically work? Well, for one thing, one thing that is almost universal, I would say it's probably the most universal strategy is convenience and inconvenience. If there's something that you want to do, you want to make it as convenient as possible. And if you don't want yourself to do it, you want to make it as inconvenient as possible. So let's say you want to do daily writing. You don't want to have to be like, you have to go and get out your laptop and open it and like clear off the dining room table and like do a whole production. Um, you want to have it so that you wouldn't, that you want to just plop down and everything is ready to go. Um, one thing that makes things feel more convenient is good tools. Beautiful tools, excellent tools make work a joy. And if you want to do something consistently, this is maybe some place to really like upgrade your laptop or like buy a new desk lamp or whatever, you know, get an office chair that's really comfortable. Um, because if it, if it feels more convenient, you're going to be, it's just going to be that much easier every time 
to sit down and do it. And you also want to make it inconvenient to do anything that would interfere. So for instance, I know a guy who has a work computer and a play computer. So if he's working, he's on one computer, but if he wants to like goof off and look at something on YouTube, he has to physically go to another computer. And now it's not everybody would be able to enforce that on themselves, but for him, it really works because it's like that inconvenience or like, let's say your phone, maybe you're constantly distracted because your phone's buzzing while you're trying to write. Okay. Don't put the phone in your back pocket. Don't put it on the, on the table next to you. You know, put it on a high shelf behind a closed closet door so that if you really need your phone, you can go get it, but it's not there just like a siren call for you. So that's convenience and inconvenience. Now, a strategy that works for many, many, many people, but does not work for everyone. So if this does not work for you, do not, you will know it if it does not work for you. And that is the strategy of scheduling. For many people, if they put something on the schedule, especially if something happens at the same time every day, they're much more likely to do it. So let's say you want to write for two hours every day. You want to put that in your schedule. Now, maybe it's the same time. Maybe it's 8 to 10 a.m. every day. But maybe you can't do that. Maybe your schedule is changing every day. And so you're going to have to move that time around. But really identify that time and put it in your calendar. For most of us, something that can be done at any time is often done at no time. So even if you had a whole day with nothing in it and you're like, okay, sometime today I'm going to write for two hours. If you're like a lot of people, that whole day could go by and you never actually get around to writing. But if it's on the calendar, that's easy. Now, for many, 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 many people, accountability is super helpful. These are obligers. I have a personality framework where I, I divide people into upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. And if you want to take a quiz, you can go to my site and search for the four tendencies quiz and take a quiz that will tell you what you are. But the key thing in this context is that for some people, it's very important to have accountability. Um, and so you want to be part of a writer's group where you're going to have to check in, or you're going to want to work with a writing coach who's going to make sure that you do a certain amount. You're going to want to, if you're working like with a professor, you want somebody who's really going to be on you and keep you to deadlines. For a lot of people, this is where an agent or an editor is helpful because they're like, okay, you know, it's due. I mean, I need three chapters by the end of the month. Like I'm waiting for it. And um, so that kind or, or maybe you're going to say, okay, for my child, uh, we're both going to do this work and I need to do my work because otherwise I'm going to be setting a bad example for my child. How can I tell my child that we're going to sit down and work for two, like every, every Saturday and Sunday morning, my daughter and I work together. I do my work and she does her homework. And it's like, I know she's, She's a lot light, more likely to be working from 9 to 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning if like I'm sitting right here because I know if she's there. Um, so there's a lot of strategies that we can use um, to, to keep these habits going because um, for writing, it's, it's, not like a, it's, it's, it's not something that you can do in a weekend. You can't take a week off of work and do it. Like for most of us, it's like you've got to have a consistent habit if you're going to be productive. That's great. That's great. Those are fantastic tips. So I've got a, a few more questions for you. So what do you, what do you think on the, on the concept of, uh, and you kind of spoke to this a little bit, but I still want to ask this. Um, what do you think on the, the concept of writing when inspiration strikes mm. um, versus writing on a schedule? Okay. Well, this is, okay. Let me, let me take a minute and explain my four tendencies framework because um, it's very relevant here. Okay. So the four tendencies framework is how a person uh, responds to an expectation, an outer expectation, like a work deadline or an inner expectation, like your own desire to write a novel in your free time. 
So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations alike. They meet the work deadline, they keep a New Year's resolution without much fuss. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they hate anything arbitrary or inefficient or irrational. But once they make up their mind to do something, they can do it if they agree. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So this is somebody who like when they were in college and they had to write a paper for a professor and get a grade, had no trouble writing. But now that they're trying to write a, a novel in their free time, they're having a lot of trouble doing it because there's no accountability. Then finally, there are rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do when they want to do it in their own way. If you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. They don't even want to tell themselves what to do. So on the subject of inspiration versus, versus kind of scheduling, for many people, I think for most people, it's very helpful to like just commit to say, I'm going to do this at this time, or I'm going to do, I'm going to commit to doing a certain number of words or whatever it is and really commit to it. Maybe you need that accountability, um, but you need some kind of structure that is going to allow you to kind of, to build that in regularly. However, if you are a rebel, that may work for you if that's what you want. Rebels can do whatever they want. And some rebels like to work that way and they gravitate to that. But some rebels do not and some questioners do not. And they wanna just do it whenever it works. And um, on my podcast, Happier, um, we did an interview with Roseanne Cash, who's you know this ama amazing songwriter and performer. And she was saying that for years, she had felt really bad about her songwriting habits because she just sort of like wanders around the house and like when she gets an idea, she writes it down. And like one day her husband like found like a whole song written down on a piece of paper that was just stuck on their ping pong table. And he's like, this is amazing, what is this? And she was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. You know. And she said she always felt bad because she thought she should be one of these people who had a desk and sat down at 9 a.m. and really did it up. But that doesn't, didn't work for her. And yet she was incredibly successful and productive in her own way. So I would say, think about yourself. Don't assume that what works for somebody else is what's gonna work for you. If something works for you, trust it, go with it. Don't feel like, oh, I have to change it because people tell me I'm doing it wrong. A lot of times people think that what works for them should work for everyone. Think about when you've succeeded in the past. Was there a period in your past when you were really productive? What was going on then? Like, did, were you working with a friend? Were, were you in the, did you work in your favorite coffee shop instead of working at home? Um, you know, there, a lot of times there are really important clues for us when we think of when we've succeeded. Um, and you can figure out what the, and what, that's part of what I try to do in Better Than Before is identify for people what kind of, how they can evaluate kind of their own vibe and their own history so that they can understand how to build the systems that are going to work for them. For instance, one thing that comes up a lot with writing and with work habits is marathons versus sprinters. So marathoners are people who like to start early and do very steady work over a long period. And they feel like that's what releases their creativity and productivity. I'm absolutely a marathoner. I hate Deadlines. I can never be a journalist because I hate deadlines. I like having a big runway. And that's what works for me. And sprinters, though, they like the intensity of a deadline. They like the, like the crunch of having to do long, intense hours. They feel like that's, what unleash, that's when they get their ideas. That's what unleashes their creativity. That's when they're productive. If they start too early, they kind of burn out. They lose interest. They spend too much time on things. It doesn't work for them. So if you're a marathoner, embrace that. If you're a sprinter, embrace that because it's a way to work and if you start too early because people tell you you should 
it's probably not going to lead to your best work. But then some people are procrastinators and they just aren't working because they're very anxious. And if you're procrastinating, you should use probably scheduling. That's what works for procrastinators. But some sprinters aren't, they, they love their work. They just like to work that way. Mm, that's great. So you, you've got uh, sprinters and marathoners. You've got rebels, upholders. I think the, the main thing is, is figure out uh, what works for you and, and what type of person that you are and, and how you can get your best workout. And Yeah, 100%. You know, it's funny. Um, so my brother plays in rock and roll band Need to Breathe. Um, and there, there's two brothers in the band that they both write, uh, they both write the songs. Uh, and they're, they're both very, very different. Um, so, you know, writing songs, is a, it's a creative uh, outlet, right? So it's funny, as you were even mentioning those things there, you've got one brother who is very meticulous. Um, it's, it's, I'm disciplined, I'm writing a song every day or yep. every week or whatever the, the ritual is. Uh, and you've got the other brother who it, it's total rebel, right? Yeah. It's I'm writing whenever inspiration strikes and that's whenever, that's whenever it strikes. And it's, and it's funny to see those two very, very different streams of, of thinking, very, very both successful and have both written a lot of their hit songs. Right. Yeah. And so I, I just love that because sometimes you feel like you get this advice or you read this book, and you think, oh man, this is the only way to do it. And I've got to, I've got to squeeze this this square peg into this round hole. No, I mean, I think that's uh, that's the thing about a lot of habits advice and creativity advice is um, do it first thing in the morning. Start small. Give yourself a cheat day. Do it for thirty days. And it's not that that's bad advice for some people, but it doesn't work for everybody all the time. And I'm, there's a book, which I'm sure you've read, um, called Daily Rituals by Mason Curry, where he just catalogs the habits, uh, the daily habits of like 161 eminent musicians, choreographers, scientists, painters, all, you know, every, you know, writers. And what you see, some people get up early and some people stay up late and some people drink coffee and some people drink vodka and some people work in a crowded place with a ton of people and a ton of action and that's what works and some people need quiet and calm and silence and there is no magic thing it's like whatever works for you but when you look at all those people the one thing they have in common is they figured it out for themselves and they make sure that whatever works for them is what they get if they need silence, they get themselves to a place of silence. If they need action, they get themselves to a place of action. And they, they suit their environment to them. Instead of thinking, I should be able to get up early and work. I should be able to write um, five pages every day. Maybe you should. Maybe you shouldn't. You know, and one of the things we can do is experiment on ourselves. If one thing doesn't work, maybe something else would work. Um, and you know, you can try it out and if it doesn't work, you learn something about yourself, even if it's not successful. But as I said, often when we look back at our past, there are clues. Um, there are things there when you're like, Hmm, why did that work? Or like it worked then. And then I moved and then it didn't work again. Like what changed, you know, like there's a lot of, we can get hints from that. Or like if somebody's doing something and it really grabs your attention, if you're like, Oh man, Man, that sounds that sounds really interesting. Like I did NaNoWriMo, and the minute I heard about this, like somebody I didn't, I hardly knew, told me about it in a coffee shop. I'm like, I'm going to buy that book right now. That sounds awesome. And most people, they're like, write a book in a month. That sounds like a nightmare, you know. But for me, I the minute I heard it, I knew it was the right thing. And I think sometimes too with habits, when somebody says like, 
don't get up early and do it. Like do it at like 7 p.m. And you're like, oh man, that sounds great. I would love to do my writing at 7 p.m. or 9 p.m. or 4 p.m. or whatever it is. It kind of has that, that attractive ring to you. Try it. Even if people tell you, oh, don't do it that way, give it a shot. Because if it works for you, that's all that's important. Now, how do you, I want to talk about researching versus writing. And a lot of people, you know, get stuck into research mode oh, for a really long time. And it's hard to get yeah. out of it. How do you know when it's time to stop researching and get to writing? No, I remember when I was writing my book about Winston Churchill, at one point my agent said, no more research. She's like, I don't want one more fact and going into this book. Like, no, it's done. Whatever you, you've got everything you need. Like now you're just going to focus on the book. No, it's interesting for, for me, a lot of times, especially with the happiness habits books, like I'm, I'm gay I'm, I'm, I'm adding, I'm adding, I'm adding new nuances, new ideas, like little, there's like all these things that have to be brought together. And then at a certain point, everything's redundant. It's like, this is a good example of this, but I have this, you know, but I've already talked about it. Maybe I'll swap them but it's basically the same thing or like oh you know for a while it's like i have 12 habit strategies i have 15 habit strategies uh-oh i've got 18 habit strategies oh my gosh i just went over 20 but at 21 there's no more 21 was the number it just got to 21 and then everything fit in and once i have a structure where everything fits in and anything new that comes in is fitting in i'm like okay now i'm i'm ending the i'm ending my research because everything I'm, I'm seeing is just confirming what I already have. When you hit that point of like, everything is just confirming what you know, that's when I feel like research comes to an end. And that was the same thing, writing something like a biography of Winston Churchill. At a certain point, I was like, I've covered everything that I want to say. And even if there's like, it's it's it maybe it would cast a new light or it'd be like an interesting little detail. It's not adding anything because everything has been everything has been put into place already and so that's how i know when it's time but oh my gosh i know i know the lure of research it is so delicious it is never ending and for a lot of people especially questioners back to our, my four tendencies for questioners that can be really difficult because they want to have perfect information and you know often in this world we don't we don't have perfect complete information we have to act before we have perfect information Got it. Now, are, are you a questioner or which one of the four are you? I'm an upholder. Got it. I'm an upholder, which is why I think when it came time for me to switch from law to writing, it wasn't that hard because it was really like, well, now I want to be a writer. What do I need to do to be a writer? Okay, well, I need a subject and I need to write a table of contents and I need to write three sample chapters and I need to write a pitch letter and I need to find out what agents, you know, to approach and um, I need to have a bibliography and I need to find comp titles. Okay, I will just do that and get this thing going. And you know, it's not wasn't that hard for me. Upholders don't typically need a lot of supervision or deadlines or accountability. Um, there are downsides to being an upholder, but in that circumstance, it was definitely very helpful to be an upholder. <laughs> Got it. Okay, so final question: What would be your parting tip or a piece of advice for someone who's maybe maybe they're like you were, right? They're, they they feel this itch and they're like I. I need to be a writer or I need to write my first book. What would be your piece of advice for them? Well, I think that the most important thing for writers to remember is that the most important thing is to have something to say. You cannot write a book if you don't have something to say. So make sure you have something to say because when you, and whenever I stall out in my writing, I'm always like, I don't think I know what I want to say. 
And I need to get clarity on what I'm trying to say, because once I know what to say, then it's just the question of how do I say it clearly? And that's a very different problem. And I think sometimes people like want to write a book, but they don't know what they want to say. But you can't skip that step because that's the, really the key thing. So I would say the first thing is to have what you want to say. And then the next thing is really the only way that anything gets done is with work. And if you are not able to work, there's hope for you. And that's what I try to do in Better Than Before, because certainly not, write, not working forward on a project, a writing project is a huge thing that comes up over and over. Often it's people writing their PhDs, right? ABD, all the dissertation. That's a huge thing that people were asking about. I'm having trouble writing my PhD. My students are having trouble writing my, their PhDs. What's the, okay. Or there are people who want to write a book. They want to write a novel that they've had this idea for years, or they have a great idea, or they're like, you know, they're like, oh, I'm a nurse and I've seen the same thing over and over. I'm just trying, I just so much want to communicate to people what I've learned. I've had a terrible breath with cancer. I want to commu communicate to people what I took from that experience, whatever it might be. Um, and so you really want to think about yourself so that you can have that habit of consistent progress, however it would look for you. And there is no one right way. But what I really try to do is, is to show how different people can do it differently. So if I had to give one tip, I would say, when you're trying to go about doing this consistent work to write this book, because you've got your idea and you want to communicate it, don't try to change yourself, change your circumstances. If you need accountability, as many, many people do, get yourself accountability. If you need to put it on your calendar, put it on your calendar. If you, whatever it is that you need, accept it. That's totally valid. There's a whole bunch of people who are in the same camp as you, I assure you. Just get what you need so that you can move forward. Because the thing about writing is there's just a lot of just banging it out. You just have to work on it over time. Um, and uh, maybe you want to do a boot camp to start yourself off. That can work. Maybe you want to start it on a vacation. That can work. There's all kinds of sort of tips and strategies that you can apply. Um, but they have to be the right ones for you. So I would say start by really looking in the mirror. Love it. Gretchen, thank you so much for coming on and, and just sharing a lot of how you do what you do. And, and I think the theme that was throughout is find what works best for you. So yes. thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing today. Where can people go uh, to find out more about you and what you're up to? Well, on my site, GretchenRubin.com, I post just about every day about my adventures and happiness and good habits and creativity and relationships and everything related. So you can go to GretchenRubin.com. And if you look under resources, there's tons of resources there about like happiness and habits. And if you want the checklist, or if you want to have a, an accountability group, because you're one of the people that is like, mm, I think I need accountability to get my writing done, how to start a group to give yourself accountability. Lots of stuff there. I also have a podcast, um, tons of fun called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where I talk about happiness, good habits, and human nature with my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who's also a writer. She's a very prominent TV writer in Los Angeles. And uh, we're sisters, so we don't let each other get away with much. And we talk every week about tips for living a happier life. Um, 
that's a lot of fun. And I have various newsletters where people can sign up a book group and a daily quotation. If you like to get quotations, I love quotations. A lot of writers love quotations, you know. I had this gigantic trove of quotations that I've kept, and now I get to share it with everybody. It's so exciting. Um, yeah, and I love, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and everything is Gretchen Rubin. And um, I love to engage with listeners and readers and viewers. So I love to hear from people about what their their questions, their insights, their comments, their observations, their examples. Um, so I encourage people to get in touch if they if they have something that they want to talk to me about. That's awesome. Ton of great resources there. Thank you so much, Gretchen. Thank you. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you can be listening to, YouTube channels that you can be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode. All right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, and then number three, this is probably the most important, uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right, reviews are super important and help the podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, so number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that, I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right, all you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book, Published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step, so how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.